0: To the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, we're going to be looking actually today at a song, uh, a six verse song in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 12. Uh, so if you could join me this morning in the book of Isaiah. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 12. Pastor Chris... started about a month ago now, I guess, started a uh, series going through the book of Isaiah. And in some portions of the book, we're kind of taking like a, uh, a, a helicopter view, you know, like a, the eye in the sky type of thing. And in some, in some portions, we're taking more of a space station view where we cover uh, a whole chunk of chapters at once. Today, we're going to kind of come down to the ground a little bit. And we're going to be looking at one chapter today and just kind of seeing uh, the words here. Chapter 12 that we're in today, um, actually, is the end of a of a major section of chapter of, of Isaiah. If you break it down, it's broken down into some major sections. And chapter 12 ends a section, and it's interesting and it's it's significant that as this section ends, it ends in this song of praise and adoration to God. Because what we've seen so far in the book of Isaiah, we've seen some pretty interesting stuff. But what we've really seen is we've seen a lot of rebellion and we've seen sin and then we see judgment. But then through that judgment and all of that stuff and all the sin and the rebellion and the the judgments we so richly deserve, we see as well that God's people each time are given a chance for redemption. They're given a chance for forgiveness, and what we're ultimately going to see here today, uh, they're given a chance, and they're given a, a, an eye towards salvation. So, as I said, we're in this book of Isaiah. Isaiah is 66 chapters long. That's, there's as many chapters in Isaiah as there are books in the Bible. So Isaiah gets the dubious role of being called a major prophet. There are major prophets, and there are minor prophets, okay? We're not talking about their talent in baseball. You know the difference between a major, talent, a major uh, prophet and a minor prophet? Major prophets are long-winded. Minor prophets are concise in what they say, all right? Basically, you look open a major prophet, and it's like chapter after chapter after chapter. Uh, that's a major prophet. Minor prophets, a little bit shorter, all right? You can, uh, you can read those in, in one setting, so that's really the, the difference, all right? But as we come to this, as we come to the chapter 12, we kind of pause, and it's kind of like this thing where we've gone through a lot of just, there's been a lot of stuff flying at us in the first 11 chapters, Uh, You see that there's been a lot of, like I said, there's been a lot of rebellion, a lot of sin, a lot of just turning their back on God. And then we see in chapter 9, which is kind of the crux of this first section, is we see the prophecy of the Messiah that is to come. And it's it's in contrast to King Ahaz, as Pastor Chris was talking about last Sunday. We see this perfect Messiah who will be the King of Kings. And the Bible says that he will be not just the Messiah, but he will be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. They said they'll call him Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. And it says then, it says, the government will be upon his shoulders and he will establish a rule and a reign that will have no end. And this rule and reign will be just. We talk about justice a lot in our culture today, right? We don't know justice the way justice will be meted out in the kingdom of God when he establishes his eternal kingdom. There will never be a case of injustice ever again in God's eternal kingdom. And I think we could say, you know, praise God for that, right? There will never be oppression. There will never be, uh, there will never be any of that going on in God's kingdom. And, and what I love about this, this king, this, this mighty Messiah, the everlasting, all these names that we could give, they're summed up in one name that Isaiah says, and they will call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted means God with us. And that was the name that they gave to Jesus when he was was born in the New Testament, and and, and Mary and, and, and Joseph, they named him Jesus, but his other name was Emmanuel, because it meant that God had come to dwell with us. God had come to not only be with us, but God had come to be the sacrifice for the sin that only he could be. So what we see here is this prophecy of this, uh, this coming king, this coming messiah, in contrast to all of the other kings, little k, that have ever lived, whether it be a king or a queen or a president or, or whatever it may be, they all fall short of this king of kings. Because no matter who it is we may put our trust in to lead our governments, they're all faulty, they're all flawed, they're all sinners just like we are, right? Right? So they all put their pants on one leg at a time, right? They're all just like us. Jesus is different. Jesus is the king that will never fail. Jesus is the king that will reign forevermore. And so following all of this thrilling description of the Messiah and his work in this 6 verse uh, the six verses that we see in chapter 12, it's this song about the salvation that the Messiah offers. And it's this song of praise for this perfect kingdom that we all have a part. We all have an opportunity to be part of. And what we have to understand is this. is As we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it should produce joy. I want to ask you this question this morning. Is your faith, is your relationship with Christ where it is right now, is it producing joy in your life? I'm not talking about happiness. because happiness comes and goes. I'm talking about joy. An ever-abiding joy that you know, I am His, He is mine. And, and as His, I am forever, forever in His hand. See, our faith in Christ should, our faith in God should always provide joy to the believer. And joy for the believer should always produce a perfect and pure and heartfelt praise. Like when we were singing this song just a minute ago, Oh, How He Loves Us. I wonder if you're you're standing there singing that thinking, Man, I can think of just how much God has proven His love. And and hopefully you can go back and think of just from this week how God has shown His love to you. And if you haven't been able to do that for a while, I encourage you to do that. Because as you begin to review the blessings of God, He becomes more precious in our sight. He becomes more precious to us. this past, was it Thursday, wasn't it Thursday that we, uh, Pastor Chris and I have been part of this joint pastors coalition. It's, a, it's kind of half, halfway made up of, of, of white pastors that pastor predominantly white churches, and the other half is made up of black pastors that pastor predominantly black churches. And we've decided to form this coalition to come together for the sake of trying to figure out ways that we can overcome this racial divide that, is, that, that, that exists within our country. And, and honestly, as many people have said and commented on, it seems like Sunday sometimes is still the most segregated day in American culture, right? And there's a lot of reasons that play into that. But as I sit down with some of these guys and sit across the table with some of these guys we find out that the way that, uh, the, way that the, the, the white church is, is feeling is a lot the way that the, the black church feels. This is not, not something we haven't against anybody. It's just This is just the way we've landed. And so what this coalition has done and the purpose we've come together and the first thing we've done is not to sit down and start talking about what makes us different. We've decided to lean into what unites us. More importantly, we lean into who, you, who unites us. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I love about this, we've gathered about two or three times, and what we've done is we've decided just to make them prayer retreats. We come together, and before we start getting brutally honest with each other, and before we start talking about all the issues on the table, we spend the first block of time, about an hour, where we are in prayer with one another. And here's the rule that we have in our time of prayer: we're not allowed to ask for anything. We're not allowed to intercede for anyone. The only he's like, well, what? You can't ask for nothing. You can't intercede for anyone. What? What are we supposed to spend an hour praying for? Just telling God how good he is. Just telling and praising Jesus and God for his goodness. And so my group, there was a group of about four of us, and we went in and we just started using the Psalms. And we started reading the Psalms back to God. Just reading them back, which you can do, by the way. And as we were doing that, we started praying about how amazing God is and how good he is and how his benefits are just amazing. Every one of us were in tears at the table. And the rest of the day, it was like there was just this unity in our hearts. Because we realized that all of all of our differences, we all sit under, under the, the hand and under the sovereignty of this God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever in every culture and in every race. And, and, and what it did was it produced this, just this attitude of, of praise. And I don't know how it went in your group, Pastor Chris, but it just, it just presented this attitude of just praise and humility and just awe for God. And how lucky we were to be there at that moment with him. because And this is why. Because faith in a good God should produce joy. And our joy should produce heartfelt worship and praise. And that's what chapter 12 this morning is. Because as Isaiah is writing and he steps back and he reviews everything that God had given him to write for these 11 chapters. He steps back and he just writes, let's stop for a minute and just think about how good God is. So let's look this morning at our text, and that's what I wanted to kind of keep in mind. Uh, this is kind of the, the, the mindset that Isaiah has as he begins to write here. And in verse number 1 of Isaiah chapter 12, it says this. On that day, and he's speaking of the day of judgment, we had just come through in chapters, 11, uh, chapters, 9 through 11, or, yeah, chapters 9 through 11. We were talking about a day of judgment. There will be judgment upon Assyria. Later on in, in chapters 13 through 24, there's going to be judgment upon all kinds of nations and upon all kinds of kingdoms. He says, on that day of judgment that is coming, you will say, I will give thanks to the Lord. Well, who is you? You is the believer, the child of God, the one who is following him, part of God's chosen people. On that day, you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation and I will trust in him and I will not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from the springs or the wells of salvation, and on that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his name and make his works known among all people. Declare that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things and let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, you citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to us from your word. Holy Spirit, may you illuminate us to truth. And I pray as the messenger this morning that I would not stand in the way, God, of what you are wanting to tell us and what you are wanting us to know. Lord, this time is yours. And I pray, Father, as we look into your word, that you would feed us from it, that you would speak to us and that you would meet us at our point of need. And our great need is to know how great you are. And so I pray this morning that you would speak to us loud and clear, that you would dwell in this time. If there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Savior, that hasn't come to that well of salvation yet, I pray that today would be the day that they do that. Maybe there's somebody here that just hasn't been been visiting that well very often, and they feel dry in their spirit, and they feel as though there's, what is there that I can praise you for right now, God? I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to just how good you are, how glorious you are, and that we would be drawn to a, a, a bigger heart of worship. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray, and the church said, amen. So as we look in our text, let me ask you this. As you look at this text, and you look back over these, these, these uh, six verses. What can we say is Isaiah's opinion of God at this moment? As you look at this, what is Isaiah's opinion of God? Is it, is it a high opinion? Is it, a, is it an opinion of gratitude and thankfulness? Maybe if humility is thrown in there, or is it just kind of like apathetic? Yeah, go God, you're great. You're wonderful, yeah. Is he, is he, he's not necessarily just going through the motions here, is he? He's not, he's not like a senior trying to graduate and writing their final paper and they have to fill the words in the paper so they're just, just, you know, continually adding words in just to get to the word count, right? Like, we don't know about that at our house right now, okay? No, he is writing these words and every word he is writing, you can feel the passion in what he is saying. Not only is it, is it illuminated and not only is it being breathed to him by God, but he is feeling and agreeing with every word he writes because... He has realized God is good, and I am lucky to be part of what he's doing. And I am fortunate to be one of those who have gone to that well of salvation. And church, this should be our attitude 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as we follow the Lord. We should have this this idea of joy. It doesn't matter if we're on the mountaintop or in the valley. We have a reason to be joyful, and we have a reason to praise him, right? You almost have to ask yourself, where does this high opinion of God come from for Isaiah? Like, Like, what has Isaiah been going through in his life to make him give such an outburst of praise and adulation? And here's the thing, as a prophet, Isaiah lived a different life than we do. The prophets in the Old Testament, they were given direct voice from God to be the mouthpiece of God. They would stand before God's people or they would advise the kings and they would say, Thus saith the Lord. And every time they said that, everybody perked up because like, okay, we're getting ready to hear from God here. Okay, It's a little bit different than what Pastor Chris and I do when we preach. We are saying, Thus saith the Lord, but it's recorded already in Scripture. When Isaiah spoke, many times it was literally God speaking through him. So he had this close walk with the Lord. He had this experience of having like just being indwelt by the Spirit of God many times in his life, and he had seen that. And so maybe he's speaking from a place of experience of saying, man, I know what it's like to walk real, real close with God. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're saying, hey, man, if, and you look around and you see people say, man, if you could just walk with the Lord just a little closer, because I've been there and I know how sweet it is. But then he also had this moment back in chapter 6. If you remember back in chapter 6 what happened when uh, when when Isaiah was called into the ministry and called into being a prophet he says in the year that king Uzziah died I saw the Lord he got this vision of the Lord And he was high and he was lifted up. And the Bible says that God is wearing this robe and and the train just fills up the entire temple with glory, right? And and, and there's there's lights and there's smoke. It's like a mega church rock show. No, I'm just teasing. It's not what's going on. But there's all this stuff going on. And there's seraphim that are flying around and they're constantly singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He sees this. And has anybody else gotten this vision before? No, we haven't got this vision yet. So we may look at Isaiah and we may think, well, no wonder you have this beautiful opinion of God because you've seen a whole lot more than we have. But the truth is, we've seen a full picture in the word of God. We've seen Jesus. We've got the full story having played out. We've seen some amazing and miraculous things as well. And see, it's really easy many times. You may be thinking, well, Isaiah, no, mad, no wonder he has an easy time following God. But what for me, pastor, is there to praise God for right now in my life? Because maybe, and I don't know your story, maybe you're, looking, maybe you're looking a cancer diagnosis square in the face or a cancer diagnosis of a loved one. Or maybe you're struggling with a child that's gone wayward. Or maybe you're struggling with The possibility of losing a job, or maybe you've gone through a job loss and you're wondering, Look, I know God's supposed to be providing for me, but right now I don't see it. And it's easy to look at that and say, Look, I know Isaiah got this big view of God, but right now I'm looking for God and I'm begging to see evidence and he's not giving it. And that happens sometimes. The question I'm asking you this is this does this song still apply in our lives? when it doesn't look like God's just like right there in front of you at the moment. Because that's the test of the Christian faith is whether we can trust him in the moments where it just doesn't look like he's there. See, we haven't had that vision personally unless we've eaten too much pepperoni pizza too late in bed before one one night. Maybe you're going through some stuff. And sometimes it seems like the brokenness that we look around at in our world, it gets all the press. I don't know about you, I have trouble keeping up with the news because it's all bad, right? It's all bad. It'll depress you if, you if you keep looking at it. And what we usually lean into is the brokenness. We usually lean into the bad. We don't lean into the good, do we? We don't look for the things that God is doing. Many times what we do is we look around and see all the bads going on and say, God, where are you and what are you doing? So I want to encourage us this morning. Let's look at what God is doing and let's look at what God is doing is worthy of our praise for. Here's what Philippians chapter 4 says this. We're told this in the book of Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything that is praiseworthy, what does it say? Dwell on these things. That means don't just give a passing glance to the goodness of God. Don't just give a passing glance when God blesses. Don't just, give, don't just, don't just you know, get through this real quick to get to, the, to, get to the, the dirty of your life. Dwell on the goodness. Let that be what you feast on more through the day and see if that changes our attitude and changes our spirit. But let's be honest. Is this what we dwell on most of the time? What do we normally dwell on? The junk, right? I guarantee you, if you spent more time in the Word than you did watching cable news, you'd probably be a happier person. Wouldn't we? So today at the end of this first section of Isaiah, I want to look at seven reasons. You're thinking, oh my gosh, seven reasons. I know how long this guy is. We're gonna go fast, I promise. All right? We'll look at seven reasons that we should praise God, that they're all we find here in this song. And these are things that we can praise him for any time, whether you're in the mountain or whether you're in the valley. Whether you're in a season of confidence with the Lord or you're in a season of doubt. Because these are unchangeable, immutable facts about God's character that he deserves our praise for. So it doesn't matter if you've had a bad week, you can come in and praise God for these things. If you've had a good week, you can still come in and praise God for these things. So let's, let's look at this. The first thing that we can praise him for that we see in our song is his mercy. We can praise God for his mercy. God is merciful, amen? Amen. Right, we talk about his love and his grace and his mercy. It's usually the top three. Uh, it's, it hits the top three of the of the the categories of of God's character, right? But I believe it's his love first that generates all of it. But it's his mercy that comes next, even before grace, because mercy, we know the definition of mercy is that it's it's the it's not getting the bad that I deserve or not getting the punishment that I deserve. Grace is getting all the good that I don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. But mercy is that when we talk about forgiveness of our sins, I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve pardon, but God, because of his mercy, offers that to me through his son Jesus Christ. So mercy is not getting the bad that I deserve. that prayer meeting I was talking about that we were at on Thursday pastor Chris doesn't even know this but coming home from this thing I was like on cloud nine it was a great day for me and I'm coming home and I am flying high and I was also flying down the road until I saw the lights of Bourbon County Sheriff and I wasn't flying high no more I was sitting on the side of the road hands on the wheel, officer comes up, and I'm thinking, oh, man, and I'm thinking, I have no idea how fast I was going. I have no idea. All I know, how I drive, I know I was going fast. So he pulled, he comes up, and I'm just going, oh, man, this is going to be bad, and he says, sir, do you know why I pulled you over today? And I'm thinking, I got no clue. <laughs> Were you lonely, just wanted to talk? Uh, he says, sir, I, I, I clocked you today driving, uh, driving 10 miles an hour over the posted speed limit, and I'm thinking, wow, that's way less than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, no points off the license. That's good. All right. And uh, I'm thinking, I'm sorry, officer. And, and, and honestly, really, my gas light had gone off and I was driving through like, the, like, you know where you go out into like like nowhere and then you go beyond nowhere. That's where I was at, okay? And I'm thinking, there is no gas around here and I've got like 18 miles left. And I'm thinking, I got to find gas. So what was I doing? Pedal to the metal, using up more gas. I was like, officer, I'm sorry, my gas light was on. I'm not from around here. He goes, I know, I saw Fayette County on your thing. I'm thinking, yeah, I know. And I said, uh, I'm not from around here, and I was just trying to find gas. I was a little nervous, and he said, okay. So I'm trying to justify my sin, right? So he says, okay, just license the registration. I give it to him. He says, you stay here. You, if you've ever been through this, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who haven't, this is, you don't ever want this experience. He says, you wait here, and I'm going to go back to my car. So he goes back to his car, and what do I immediately do? I immediately start praying again because I just come from this amazing prayer meeting where we got a hold of the altar of God. I'm thinking, Lord, if you have any mercy in you whatsoever, shed your mercy and grace upon this officer. You know, and, and so he comes back, and what I'm, what I'm hoping to hear is, the beautiful words, sir, slow down, I'm going to give you a warning this time. I think he's probably thinking, you know, this guy's nice, you know, he, he, okay, he comes up and he says, sir, he hands me my license and my registration back, and I don't see anything else in his hand, I'm thinking, all right, all right, but I only saw one hand. And uh, he, I, I'm thinking, he goes, sir, I, I did clock you at going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. So uh, I just wanted to, uh, and I'm going, oh, I just wanted to what, give you a warning? And then he says, reaches his other hand down, he says, I just wanted to give you this citation. And I'm going, doggone it, no mercy, no mercy at all. Now, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Did I deserve the ticket? Yes, I deserved the ticket. Was I going over the speed limit? Yes. He was probably being merciful in the fact that he probably only posted at 10 miles an hour. It's probably going more. Did I deserve the mercy? No. Could he have given mercy? Yes. But did he choose not to? He chose not to. Was he within his rights? Yes. Did the law say that he should have given me the ticket? Yes. Here's what I love about God. He's not the Bourbon County Sheriff's Department, right? (laughs) Right? I can't tell you how many times I've been clocked for speeding and clocked for sin, yet God says, I am willing to show you mercy. So much so. he said i'm going to send my son to pay your debt what would have been awesome if that officer had looked at me and said son he said son i'm not his son i was older than him he said sir here's your ticket and because i feel good for you today i'm going to go and i'm going to pay that ticket for you he didn't do that either (laughs) all right so anyway what i'm trying to say is mercy is not getting the bad that we do deserve and every one of us every one of us need mercy why Because every one of us have sinned. The Bible says all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And here's what it says in our text this morning. On that day, that day of judgment, you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Why? Because, Lord, although you were angry with me, let me ask you a question. Does God have the right to be angry with you? Yeah, he has the right to be angry with us. But what does he say? What does it say here? Although you have the right to be angry with me, your anger has turned away. You have turned your anger away and you have comforted me. See, the thing is, is that we all deserve God's judgment. But yet we see right here on that day of judgment, there is a group of people who will be able to say, I thank you, God, because although you were angry with me, you turned your anger away from me. That's His mercy. And I don't know about you, but I need a lot of mercy. You're thinking, no kidding. You need a lot of mercy, buddy, Mr. Speedster. Slow down. We all need mercy. And I love the fact that the Word says that He makes His mercy new to us every single morning. Why do you think He provides it every day? Because we need it every day. Why do you think He provides it fresh every day? Because we do something every day fresh that requires that mercy. God is merciful and He deserves our praise for that. And the second thing that He gives us on top of His mercy is He gives us His comfort. He says, you turned your anger away from me. And then it says, on top of that, you have comforted me. Not only has He given us His mercy and His forgiveness of our sin, now He has comforted us in our forgiven state. Not only does He give us His mercy, but He goes the extra mile to comfort those who believe. And this is important For those of you who may be like me and and i believe there's somebody here who needs to understand this along with god's mercy comes his endless comfort as well because if you're like me and you're a perfectionist you beat yourself up over sin you beat yourself up over mistakes you beat yourself up over i messed up i have beat myself up over this ticket badly no more than my family has but i have beat myself up over this ticket badly right And there's somebody here who needs to hear this, because you're the kind of person that you are quick to give forgiveness to others, but you are slow to give it to yourself, right? And and that makes us putty in the hands of the enemy. It really does, because what Satan loves to do to the redeemed is to make them continually think they're still living in condemnation. But here's what Romans chapter 8 says. Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. But I know that there's people here today that you're saying, Man, I know I've been forgiven. I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, but you still live with your eyes in the rearview mirror. And here's what the Bible says. God comforts those who've been forgiven. That means He tells us to walk in confidence of God's forgiveness. Not in confidence of your righteousness, because we know that we're not righteous. No, not one. But walk in confidence of His mercy that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and comforts us in that, right? And if you're like that, if you constantly are beating yourself up over, the, over this, let me share a truth with you. Please take this to heart. What's placed under the blood stays there. If you get nothing else today, get this. What's placed under the blood it stays there. So we believe in this doctrine called eternal security, and meaning that when God forgives us of our sins, and when he saves us, he saves us eternally. And when God forgives, he forgives completely. The Old Testament says he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. Somebody once said that he just forgets about our sin. I don't believe that's biblical because it goes against the fact that he is omniscient. See, he knows, he doesn't forget our sin. He just chooses not to bring it up again. And he paid the price to cover that sin and bury it under the blood so that it never resurfaces again. This is why God is worthy of our praise, right? So God is good to us and he has given us mercy, but he has also given us comfort in our forgiveness. And thirdly, he gives us his salvation. And this is the big one here, right? This is, this is the, the big daddy of all seven of them. Look at verse number two, we got to see this. It says, indeed, indeed, God is my salvation and I will trust him and not be afraid for the Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. So if you're looking for the key text in, in this entire song, verse number two is it, man. If, if you don't get any of them, get, get, get this verse right here. And notice that salvation is mentioned twice in this one verse. It bookends the entire verse. Every time that you see something repeated like that in Scripture, it's an ancient device of repetition to notice importance and significance. It's almost like saying, I'm going to say it twice so you don't miss it. So what is God telling us? God is telling us that salvation is His. It is His design, it's His creation, it's His idea, and that means it's His to give, and who does He give it to? He gives it freely to anybody who would ask. So first of all, he says, indeed, God is my salvation. That word indeed in the original language, it mean, it's like this Hebrew demonstrative. It means behold or pay attention. Don't miss this. It's almost like snapping your fingers and say, perk up. If you've been thinking about something else, pay attention to what I'm about to say. And what is the next, the next input of truth is salvation is in God. My salvation is in God. Isaiah is saying that if you want to find salvation, You want to find mercy? You want to find comfort in the day of judgment? You want to find confidence that you'll be able to stand redeemed? You'll find salvation only in in Him. You won't find it in your works. You won't find it in knowing somebody who's a really good Christian. You won't find it in being raised in a Christian home or going to a Christian school. You won't find it in being raised in in a country that says they're Christian. You find salvation in God. In God. You can't find it anywhere else. And this is significant, especially for Isaiah writing to the Jewish people who they were like, they minded their P's and Q's like crazy. They were legalists to the core. This is how the Pharisees got to where they were, man, writing all these extra laws and things and talking about how righteous they were. And they thought that their righteousness is what, their personal righteousness is what made them holy before God. And Isaiah is saying, no, (laughs) your works of righteousness are like filthy rags. It is salvation of God, not of yourself. You may try to find salvation in your works, in your knowledge, in your tradition, in your church attendance, but you're only going to find it in God and his mercy that gives it. So the only thing that we can do is exactly what Isaiah says if we want salvation. We must trust him. We trust him for that salvation. It's a gift of mercy that is fueled by grace and his love for us. So the question is, how much should I trust Him? Trust Him completely. Not just halfway. See, see some faith systems teach, yeah, I, got, I need Jesus to be saved, but I need me to stay saved. Like, it, it, it's faith plus works. No, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. and It is not of ourselves. It's God's gift. It's not of our works, or we go around just boasting about ourselves all the time. He says it is God's salvation. Now, notice this really neat thing that happens in the second half of the verse. First, you see God is my salvation. Now, what do you see in the second part? It says God has become my salvation. See, the first phrase about salvation is showing that God's position in salvation, right? He is my source of salvation. Now, do you notice down here he has become my salvation? What what led to him becoming Isaiah's personal salvation? What is it? His trust, the trust that he placed in God for that salvation. See, salvation is not granted just by acknowledging that Jesus can save. Salvation is granted by placing your trust in him to be your savior. He must become your salvation. It's what we talk about when we say that Jesus is a personal savior. Oh, he's the Lord. He is the savior. But you must put your faith in him for him to become your savior. The question this morning is, have you done that? Or are you riding on the coattails of, I've always just been in church. I've always just come to church. I've always just come. It scares me when I talk to somebody and say, you know, how long have you been a Christian? Well, I've been a Christian my whole life. It is not possible to be a Christian your whole life. Everyone must come to Christ at some point. There is a moment when we are born again into his family. Yes, God is our salvation. He's always going to be our salvation. But the question is, has he become your salvation? Then we also see not only his salvation, but we see his strength. If you back up just a bit in verse number two, we see that Isaiah says that God is his strength and he will trust in the strength of the Lord and that trusting in the strength of the Lord is going to drive out any fear that he has. The question I was looking at, what do we know about God's strength? We talk about how God is omnipotent, right? He's all powerful. There's nothing that our God cannot do, and it's true. There's nothing that God cannot do. And we see Isaiah again use repetition here with God's name. Look at what it says. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord, is, it, Isaiah's not stuttering here. He didn't just accidentally, you know, write the Lord, go get some popcorn and come back and pick up where he left off. And oops, I wrote the Lord again. Okay. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. That repetition is for a purpose that word translated to the Lord there is Yahweh, and it was the highest and holiest name of God. And when you use that repetition, he's meaning he is holy, 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 infinity, holy. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. It means that God is doubly unmatched in his holiness. God is doubly in, unmatched in his strength. And we see that not only is, we see he's not only Isaiah's strength, but that God is his song as well. And what it means is he's just burst forth with, how can I withhold myself from praising him after all this goodness that I see? And you may be sitting there thinking, okay, but what does that mean for me? I'm glad that Isaiah has got this love relationship going on with God, and and it's awesome. Let me ask you this question. How How much are you honestly and actually leaning into the strength of God in your life? We say he's omnipotent. We say He's all-powerful. We say that there's nothing that our God cannot do. But many times, we, we, we profess that with our lips, but we deny it with the way we live. Don't we? Because I believe if we truly trusted His strength, we wouldn't have as many doubts as we do. We wouldn't have as many doubts as we do. See, does, does our life and the way that we approach our life portray that we actually believe that God is unmatched in His strength? And for most of us, that answer for being honest has to be no, because if we truly believe that God was the strongest of the strong, then we'd let him lead us more often. We'd say, okay, God, you're sending me here. I don't doubt that you're going to be with me as you send me, so I'm going to follow you. But Many times we wring our hands over, man, I, I just don't know if I can trust him here. I don't know if he's strong enough to hold me where he sends me. And, and, and if I'm, I'm being fully transparent with you, I'm ashamed at just how much... I trust God for my eternity. Like it's all riding on him. But how much I struggle with trusting him for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's embarrassing. How much to say, God, I trust you for my eternity. Like, and eternity's never going to end, right? But I don't trust him for the temporal now and now. I struggle with that. I'm probably the only one, okay? It's what it's looking like. I'm the only one. See, as followers of Christ, you know how peculiar it is to walk around and testify that we don't have fear in death. Like we don't, Do I fear how I'm going to go? Yeah, I'm a wimp. I don't want to go painfully, right? But do I fear where I'm going to go? No, because I know that God is mine and, he, and I am his, right? How peculiar it is to say we don't have fear in death and that our eternity is secure in Christ yet at the same time we sit and I wring our hands and we lose sleep over the uncertainties that are around us right now. Let me give you, for instance, this may hit home hard. we got a primary election coming up on Tuesday, right? Why is it that we sit around and wring our hands and we worry, oh my gosh, if my candidate doesn't win, everything's going to fall apart. You know, we worry about these candidates and these governors and these presidents when we follow and we are children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who sits on a throne that no election is ever going to unthrone him. But we stress and we worry. And many times our stress and our worry and our fears that we, that we talk about is really saying to God, I don't trust that you really are that strong or that you know what you're doing. So he is strong and he is to be praised for his strength. And we also praise him as well for his supply. For his supply. See, he uses his strength to be our supply. And what does he supply? He supplies our every need according to his riches and glory, the word says. Right? Right? Look at verse number 3. Isaiah 12, verse 3 says, You will joyfully draw water from the springs or the well of salvation. See, the original language, it paints a word picture to describe this water source that's deep within the ground and it bubbles up and you're like, where did this come from? But this well is just providing what I desperately need. And it seems poetic to us in this modern first world experience, but if you're reading that in the ancient world, where you're out in an arid climate like the Middle East, and you happen upon a water source, you don't wander far from that source. You're thinking, if you're looking for a place to set up camp, you're like, oh, there's a well. Let's go over about 20 miles from the well, and we know where to come get it. No, you stay close to the well. Why? Because it's the source of life. And you're joyful and you're thankful to find it. But, and the reason I think this is lost on us is because we live in a world where you want water, you just go to the faucet. Or you go to, you know, wherever you want to go get it. I substitute teach in high school and middle school. And I can tell you, this is the most hydrated generation the world has ever known. They carry water bottles in with them. They're coming in with Starbucks. I saw one kid come in the other day. He is double-fisted with a coffee in one hand or whatever, a cappuccino or whatever. He's got his uh, 32-ounce Stanley cup in the other hand. He can't even carry his books because he's got his hydration. I'm like, are you thirsty, bro? And he looks at me. He has the nerve to look at me and go, can I go to the bathroom? (laughs) I have no idea why you need to go i mean, I went to school where you raised your hand with trembling hands and they could i go get a drink of water if it pleases the court you know yeah that's what you do I, I watched this one kid no lie he polished off this big huge thing of water and what does he do he reaches into his backpack pulls out a gallon jug of water and pours another thing into it and thinking, like, you don't need that much water you're going to drown internally right So what I'm saying is we have water in abundant supply around us, so we don't understand the depth, no pun intended, the depth of this statement when he says, you will draw joyfully from the well of salvation. What this is telling us is it's a deep well. It is a well that never runs dry, and it is a well that is in the middle of an arid region where you will find grace no other place. If you want to live, you come to this well. That's the salvation of God. That's the supply that he has. And not only does he supply salvation, but you just keep drawing from that well and you find everything else that you need to. As a child of God, this is our joy. That same well that we came to for salvation in Jesus Christ is the same well that we come to for peace. It's the same well that we come to for joy. It's the same well that we come to for blessing and provision. It comes from the same place. It's from him. So it's his supply and then moving quickly, the next thing is his activity. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, On that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, proclaim his name, make his works known among the peoples. Declare that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Make his works known, for he has done glorious things. God is great, right? God is good, right? How often is he good? All the, time. all the time. And all the time? We know that one. Good, right? Now, do we believe it? Do we truly believe it? Here's the thing about God. Even if he didn't do all these great things, he's still great. The fact that he chooses to do these great things on our behalf makes him amazing. Makes him merciful. Makes him glorious and should make him precious to us. See, not only is his activity great, but his activity is right and it is holy. We're told here that it's important to tell people about God's great and mighty works and we're to declare what he's done and to sing to the Lord because of the things that he has done. And we live in a time and a culture right now where it may not be comfortable to praise God or to give glory to God or to talk about God. It may not be popular There are other parts of the world where it's criminal. There are other parts of the world where it could be a fatal thing to give glory to God. But we see here that it doesn't matter the culture we're in. We should let the world know about his great and mighty acts. And as a church, we have a wonderful opportunity. And I think sometimes we should let the praise that goes on in here take it out there with us as we go. See, we have a great His great activity to think. When we sing here in church, what's on your mind? While the worship team is up here and leading us in worship, what's on your mind? What are the things that are occupying your thoughts and occupying your heart? Let me give you the, the secret to true, passionate worship, and enjoying the service that you attend. It's not having the perfect song sung. It's not having the song sung in the perfect key. It's not having a great band or a singer. It's not having the lighting just right or the sound and the right volume. See, all those things are great. We have all those things here, okay? But the secret to great worship is when our hearts and our affection is tuned to the greatness and the goodness of God. That's the song that bursts forth with us. When we stand to sing in just a few minutes, and I promise you it's just a couple more minutes. Take a moment to think on the goodness of God, to think about what he's done in your life, to think about these things that we've talked about, that we don't deserve him, but he has given himself and his son to us out of his infinite grace and infinite mercy. And when you turn your attention to God, real worship is what pours forth. And as you reveal the activity of God, you can't help but praise him in spirit and in truth. And lastly, as we close up this morning, thank Him for His presence. Praise Him for His presence. Look at verse 6. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in His greatness. For the Holy One of Israel is among you in His greatness. Look at that last half of that verse. Among you in His greatness. The Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel's One of Isaiah's favorite ways to describe God or name God. He uses it often through the book of Isaiah. calls him the Holy One of Israel. It's It's a nod to his holiness. It's a nod to his loftiness above us. And then you think about his loftiness. The Holy One of Israel chooses to be among you. How much so did he choose to be among us? He gave himself, wrapped himself in flesh, was born as a baby, Laid in a manger to a family from Nazareth, the wrong side of the tracks. In a family of a carpenter. He was left to be kind of like this nomadic rabbi that walked around and taught people about the kingdom of God. This is what God did for us. He left his high and lofty perch, descended to us, took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself. So that we could have eternal life. That, that name that we were talking about back in, in Isaiah, Emmanuel, is significant. Emmanuel meaning God with us. The fact that God lowered himself to become man for our benefit. What did he get out of it? Ultimately, he got obedience to the Father and he'll get praise and glory. But ultimately, we got so much out of the fact that he descended himself to man that salvation, that well, it all comes at the cross of Jesus Christ. That God is among us. We can be thankful for his presence. And here's the thing. When Jesus was here for 33 years, when he left and he ascended into heaven, he said, I will not leave you alone for I will send you a comforter to be with you. God has always resided among his people. Even the children of Israel in the Old Testament, he walked with them with a pillar of, pillar of fire and a cloud and was always with him in the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, he was with him. He always says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And as we close out this morning, I want to challenge you because you may be sitting there right now because I don't know where you are right now personally and you're thinking, yeah, he's there with me, but I don't see him anywhere. I haven't seen evidence of his presence in a long time. This is where faith comes in. Trusting him, trusting that he has promised I am with you. See, God does not always bless us with immediate deliverance from our circumstances. The greater blessing is often seen in the fact that he says, I am with you through the circumstance. That you never go through it alone. So if you're struggling, you feel like I'm in the valley and you're thinking, man, I don't see evidence of God doing much of anything. Just rest in the fact that you know he's there. He's there. morning Thank you for listening today At Graceway Our strongest desire is to glorify Christ By telling everyone about His grace If you have questions Or are in need of spiritual help Please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org And click on the contact us section Or you can email us at gracewaylex@gmail.com. at gmail.com Our worship services are held Each Sunday at 10.30am We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.